How's it going, everyone? Joe Gardner here, welcoming you to, uh, we'll call it edition number 45 of Joe vs. the World. Today's a special show. It's one I've had in mind since I began this program. It's the history of WrestleMania. An idea so big it could be not contained, it could not be contained on just one program. And to assist me, I have not one but two guests. These two men have been on my show a combined uh, 842 times. It's Justin Shapiro and Matt Foy. Gentlemen, how you doing? And I will say how I'm doing first. The answer is quite good. I am also doing well. What's right. the Roman numeral for 45? Uh, it's, uh, it's like, like XL or something like that? XLI would be XLV. 41. XLV, yeah. Yeah. XLV. Okay. Glad we handled that. All right. Yeah. How many buys do you think uh, this show will do domestically? This radio show? We don't have pay for it, so it probably won't get any. After this show, you're going to have to charge because you're going to have such a high demand. That may very well be. and It's interesting the three of us are here. We kind of all represent the old territory for the WWF. I'm in New England, Justin in Pennsylvania, and Matt in in New York. Yeah. Yeah. And And uh, Matt, New York is what, in the olden times, people would call the WWF. And even currently sometimes for no reason. Yeah. Like Raven will be like, oh, I was up in New York, and I'm like... <laughs> it's like they're based out of Stanford and they don't just run New York. So, in fact, they don't run New York almost almost ever anymore. Yeah. Well, not New York City at least. Ah, Mountain Dew's good. Well, you've probably noticed the last couple programs we've been uh, using a bit more sound effects on this program. Had the uh, the Brooklyn Brawler promo. Also had the the buzzer on the prior promo, and this was all building up to this very moment where, in honor of Gorilla Monsoon, who called the first eight WrestleManias, I now present the Gorilla Monsoon drop board. Oh, my oh God. <laughs> I'll be unveiling these as, uh, <laughs> as we go on. This place has gone oh, has. That is a pleasant, pleasant surprise. Oh, yeah. Not quite. Like, this is uh, definitely shaping up to be, in conjunction with WrestleMania, the first Observer Live uh, rebirth which went head-to-head with, or came right after WrestleMania 18, and had a very intrusive drop board that whoever the new Algatula was used very haphazardly and uh, pretty much made the show unlistenable. That's what I'm aiming for. So if uh, either you get out of line, you'll get hit with a... Will you stop? Watch yourself. <laughs> All right, WrestleMania. Only best place to start would, I guess, be WrestleMania 1. March 31st, 1985, in New York City. Kind of the height of the, the rock and wrestling connection. You had Cindy Lauper there, company winning Richter. You had Hulk Hogan and Mr. T in the main event against uh, Roddy Piper, Paul Orndorff. Uh, you can't beat this show for historical purposes, and I don't think it's a bad little show. It, it breezes by. It's two and a half hours, and believe me, that's something we'll envy at later WrestleManias, but it has a lot of memorable moments. I like this one. How about you, Justin? Well, <clears throat> to be entirely honest, I haven't watched WrestleMania 1 in a good long while. Mm-hmm. Um some of, like the first five manias don't really have anything in them that makes me want to really pop them in again because uh, the mood has to strike you, except for three, obviously. But um, at the same, I mean, I, like you said, I definitely understand the, the historical significance, and it's a pattern that would kind of be repeated throughout uh, WrestleMania and uh, really WWF history, where um, the importance them to really get it going usually involves um, kind of a notable celebrity and um, get who 
they put in a main event position, and that gets maximum mainstream excuse me mainstream eyeballs on them. And at the same time, you have to put that person in conjunction with with the top star, and then tie them together. So everyone tunes in to see the celebrity, sees how awesome uh, the top guy is, whether it's uh, Hogan or Austin, and then uh, in turn say, "Well, I would love to keep watching this guy in his continuing adventures," and then uh, kind of takes off. So it, it worked with Hogan and Austin, as we'll eventually get to, and then. Didn't work at all with Diesel, and I guess this year remains to be seen uh, how Trump works, but like, the intended uh, beneficiary is, is not Cena, so I don't think it can work uh, to the extent it did at WrestleMania 1. Do you have any uh, thoughts, Matt? Uh, yeah. Uh, I um, I thought this was a, a case where the, the story surrounding the show was a lot more interesting than the show itself which is probably going to be the case for a few of the shows, but I think this one more than anything, just because of the everything that led up to the show, the significance of it. This was really a situation where if it didn't work out, the the company really might have gone out of business because Vince was so behind on um, payments and various things. And this was like the necessary gamble that it needed to make. And also it was a case where really the show wasn't a success up until like the last week when they had all this great hype going on. They had uh, Hogan on um, Richard Belzer's show, where I think that's still up on YouTube, that clip. It's pretty amazing. Where he knocked him out. Yep. Um, and then I think they were, they both hosted, uh, Hogan and T both hosted SNL the night before. So uh, they got they were really clutch with that, uh, that last-minute hype. I think uh, I mean, there, was, there was nothing like on its own that's particularly special about the show in the ring, obviously, but that really wasn't what they were going for at the time, anyway. Um, they, um, like the main event had unbelievable heat, which uh, I'd, I'd say probably as good a heat as, as almost any WrestleMania main event if you really watched it. Mm-hmm. And um, the undercard, though, really, like the first four or five matches, really wasn't any different than your typical Madison Square Garden house show. In fact, it was probably, probably worse than some of them. But you know, you know, starting off with the Tito Santana in a pretty much a squash match. The the one thing I did watch the show a little bit more recently than Justin did, and the one thing that I um that I like to note is that it's so different from the polished production that the WWF would become. You know, even a couple years later, <laughs> um, the, the 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 backstage interviews were often <laughs> a real mess. Like even even Buddy Rhodes, which who I who, who's the executioner on this show, who I think is pretty much known as a pretty decent interview at least, right? He uh sure. yeah, his promo was just like unbelievably bad. He was stammering. He was just like, I'm here to go after your leg and uh, I don't even know. And Lord Alfred Hayes was doing Oh the, my um, god. It was the like dr- they pulled a homeless guy off the street and gave him a mic cuz he yeah, just- I know this is an experienced guy who hosted a weekly show on a national cable TV and he was so nervous uh, and I, yeah. I I don't know if I don't know if this was the, just the first live show he's ever done or just they were like, remember Al Million people watching this, <laughs> like right before he went on the air, right before every time they cut to him, and he just he just couldn't get a word out. And even Jesse Ventura seemed pretty nervous. Um, he improved pretty quickly, if as you'd see at the next WrestleMania. But that was one of the things that stood out to me about the show. Yeah, there was some. Uh, we had some memorable moments. We had uh, we had Andre slamming Big John Stud, which was if you watch that, it's an odd match because. Andre just beats him up for a while and then slams him. There's not like there's no there's no drama. He just beats him up and slams him. Yeah, though honestly, if you uh, watch uh, 
WWF matches from back then. A lot of matches are like that. They don't really have the, you know the the back and forth and the and the drama, you know, except in a, a few standout cases. It's a lot of just the baby face just hitting, hitting his move and winning. Yeah. Well, we also had a uh, King Kong Bundy killing SD Jones in 23 seconds. Always announced as nine for. I guess they want historical purposes when it's pretty obviously not nine seconds because it goes on noticeably longer. Yeah, I, when uh, this record later came into question, I think in the early 1992, when uh, in results reported by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, uh, Bret Hart pinned the Mountie in uh, three seconds with an immediate schoolboy or small package or something like that. And then it was much... Uh, Touted about the the fall of that record, and then for for whatever reason, that moment really didn't uh, carry the same historical significant value as uh as the King Kong Bundy match. Did anyone see this on on Close Circuit? You you youngsters may be a little too uh maybe been a bit before your time, but yeah, I, I would have had to have been uh, held by somebody while this was going on. Okay, because I would have fallen off the chair since I didn't because I was a baby. All right, I feel old. Oh, okay. so, so what your but, um, first WrestleMania was the first WrestleMania? Well, I, I I didn't see this this one until I remember the the tape uh, oh. later on the videotape. I did not see this one live. Not till uh, three, I think, did I see one live. But mm-hmm. and Matt, what was your first Mania live? Um, mm-hmm. I, I think. Well, I know for a fact um, the first one that I saw live at my house with the first one that my uh, my dad let me order was WrestleMania seven. So that one has a lot of sentimental value to me. I might have, I'm not totally positive, I might have seen five at someone's house, but I, I don't remember for sure. So I'll just go with seven. Okay. And I watched seven on uh, Coliseum Video <laughs> shortly after it came out, and then eight was the first one that I paid for. Yeah. So, But I think uh, people, me and Matt's age, Matt and I, excuse me, uh, have a similar life experience for uh, pretty much that age range where you start watching and then, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's, exist today or not, but then you, you catch up like every past big show by, by running them all from your local video store. So I got to uh, catch up on the, the previous uh, six manias via those cool boxes with all the uh, the matches listed on the back. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I guess we'll move on. Well, let, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to mention, um, I'd say um, as far as uh, Mr. T goes in the main event, um I think he was kind of underrated in how he performed. Like, there really wasn't a whole lot of wrestling done except for a few basic spots. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as, you know, offense-wise and doing the little grappling at the beginning with Roddy Piper, I thought he looked really competent. And, you know, I think, you know, he, he showed enough talent in his, you know, just his you know his first match where he didn't really train all that much that he would, um, you know, that he could have he been decent if he had, if he had committed to it. I still think that's probably the second best celebrity match of all time. Yes, and I imagine we'll be getting to the best one. You would be correct, sir. Okay. All right, on to WrestleMania 2, held at three separate locations, something they never did again for obvious reasons. Not the best show. I, it, it had its, its share moments. Uh, really bad main event, Hulk Hogan against King Kong Bunny in a cage. We had a lot more stuff that was more interesting, I guess, than good. The, the, the boxing match, the um, the football player battle royal. But the British Bulldogs winning the tag titles was very satisfying to me. So, kind of mixed feelings on this one. I, I wouldn't recommend going out of your way to see it. Uh, Matt, do you have any? Uh... Uh, yeah, I actually want to, thinking about doing this live um, on the show, 
Um, let me try off the off memory to run down all the celebrities that were on this show. We had um, Ray Charles, mm-hmm. Susan St. James, yep. Joe Frazier, Lou Duva, um, Joan Rivers, I think Daryl Dawkins, yep. G. Gordon Liddy, Herb, Kathy Lee Crosby, Dick Budkiss, Two Tall Jones, Ozzy Osbourne, um, Ricky Schroeder, Tommy Lasorda, uh, Elvira. Um, am I forgetting anybody? That that doesn't include uh, Miss, you know, the wrestling, sure. Mr. T and all the football players in the Battle Royal, but that is... An you in- forgot Robert Conrad. How could you? Oh, my God. <laughs> the, the also, the Where's the, where's the Beef the Lady? Did so much. But, um, yeah. Also, the Where's the Beef Lady? Oh, right, all right. Claire Peller. I have a list in front of me. I don't remember any of this. Okay. I'm a cheater. <laughs> no, I, that was totally off, off the top of my head. That's terrifying to me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that was that kind of explains why maybe this WrestleMania wasn't the success of the first one, as they kind of focused on the wrong things. But, um, but yeah, there was uh, this was a wacky show. They uh, <laughs> certainly was. <laughs> they just threw anything out there. They had... Uh, that that boxing match. I don't know how you know how many of you guys have seen it, but oh, recently. Yeah. But Ass. that was just all over the place nuttiness, and they didn't make any sense. It was had a terrible finish. They had I don't know what was it like, like Mr. T or Piper complained that the other was greasing themselves up, and yep, what the, the finish was a body slam or something like that. Yep, and then there's a crazy brawl, and the crowd just didn't really understand any of what was going on. They had um. What could have been a pretty decent opening match with um, with Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and Don Morocco, but uh, all I remember from it was that it ended in double countout after like a minute and a half, and yeah, and uh, and to get uh, and to tease the uh, to tease Mr. Fuji, um, Paul Orndorff did squinty Asian man eyes, <laughs> and uh. and Susan Chain James kept saying, "I don't like this guy, Vince." And yep. other than that, there was really nothing much from uh, the uh, New York portion. The uh, Chicago part had the Battle Royal, which was, you know, which is decent little little things as far as Battle Royals goes. They didn't Battle Royals go. They uh, they didn't um, make it last too long. The bit at the end with the Hart Foundation versus Andre was was you know decent, good stuff. Um, Andre just got a simple basic win, so that was fun. And then the British Bulldogs versus the Dream Team was a legitimately great match. Like. Like better than almost anything you would see on WWF TV back then, and um, Ozzy Osbourne then afterwards, obviously acting kind of drunk. And, yeah. And uh, then uh, LA had a pretty good match too with um, JYD and uh, Tito Santana um, against the Funks. That was actually very good, and um, began Tito Santana's WrestleMania losing streak that would last until his final appearance at WrestleMania. And that's about all that was noteworthy on that show. Well, I will want to point out uh, Adrian Adonis against Uncle Elmer in a sleeper match for the worst WrestleMania match in uh, in history. Because holy shit, was that bad? At least it was quick. Yeah, it was a three minute match. Um, also, I want to mention Jake Roberts beat George Wells in in New York, and George Wells, I guess, was an ex CFL guy. I never heard about him before or after the show. And anyone ever remember George Wells after this? Um. Well, I've I've heard I heard about him. I read about him in old observers that I have, um, as as far as like just appearing in different territories and stuff. But I don't remember him in the WWF at all. Mm. Hmm. Anything else? I 
I still don't know why they didn't do something with Orndorff against Hogan in the main event. I don't know why they went with Bundy. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the reasons this show is so forgettable, that the, the far bigger and more memorable feud came later that year. But I mean, that's kind of a, a theme of the, the early WrestleManias and yeah. the, uh, the, um, all their pay-per-views, although this wasn't on pay-per-view, but, um, right? It was only closed circuit. I think it was available on pay-per-view in, like, two markets, so. Okay. Yeah. Be, be, you'll see, like, a, uh, more than you'd expect, an above-average number of, like, DQs or no finishes, and a lot of giving, like, the next challenger for the title just some squash win uh, over a, you know, uh, mid-card guy. Whereas today, everyone who's a top star has to have their own match against a fellow uh, important wrestler. Uh, back then, it was uh, way more geared towards house shows, even uh, with WrestleMania. I mean, you build to, to a big WrestleMania main event, but it's not so much about putting together the great big blow-off show as it is just continuing the cycle. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think probably the reason that they didn't go with Orndorff here was because they had that in mind as, you know, to keep business hot after WrestleMania since the year before they kind of had a drop. Um, and I think I think it worked. I mean, the, obviously, that was one of the most successful programs in, rest, in WWF history, so mm-hmm. I understand that. It's kind of weird that if they knew that they were going to be thro- throwing Orndorff into that spot, that they had him have such an unmemorable, cheapy finish at this big show, but I guess, like Justin said, it wasn't really the big show yet that, it, that we think of it as now. I mean, mostly it was just uh, things that became precursors for WrestleMania three. Like Andre wins the Battle Royal with again, like gets a celebrity rub from from throwing out all the football players, which uh, draws you know whatever attention to him. Uh, I mean, people already knew who Andre the Giant was, but that kind of solidified not solidified, but made him a, a bigger deal. And then I guess Piper was already popular going to the boxing match, but it was so bad that it kind of more or less turned in babyface. Hmm. So uh, two components for next year's show to set up it too, whereas just with two itself, uh, you wouldn't really take the Battle Royal or the boxing match, especially as anything you'd want to invest your time in. All right. Well, I guess we're on to WrestleMania three, and uh, now we're talking here, but I'm, I'm going to start a rant. I'm going to rant to start. People are you still see threads? People debating whether there were ninety three thousand people there or seventy eight thousand. You know, ninety three thousand as reported by WWF. Dave Meltzer says Zane Breslov told him seventy eight thousand. WWE had records of it for whatever reason. You know what, folks? We're never going to know. Meltzer can't prove there were seventy eight thousand there, and the WWF sure as hell wouldn't admit that there weren't ninety three thousand. So, whatever answer you want to believe, whoever you think is right, that's great. It's either way, it doesn't matter. It's a huge crowd either way. Yes, and also, um, clearly, you watch the show, no matter what the crowd was, it was a packed building. Yes. So they, they sold it out. They could have sold more tickets, so whatever. Whatever. And this is a much-beloved show, basically for three matches. You had uh, the Hogan-Andre main event, the Savage Steamboat uh, match for the IC belt, and Roddy Piper's retirement match against Adrian Adonis. Everything else is just kind of there. But you know the, the weird thing about this? I did the math, and that out of 12 matches... The Heels won seven of them, and there there was a, a double count out in the Hercules Billy Jack Haynes match, but they uh, kicked the shit out of Billy Jack afterwards, so I count that as a heel win. And I know the the baby faces won the important matches, and it, it doesn't bug me that Butch Reed beat Coco Beware, but um, I don't know that always struck me as odd as the big show of the year, like the Heels won more matches than the baby faces. 
Yeah, and you'll see that again until I don't really know. Maybe Matt would would can pinpoint the exact uh, demarcation point where WrestleMania became, you know, what we expect out of it. Uh, but at the time, they uh, just kind of a big show, and then you you would book the finish the way you'd book a finish, uh, just logically. Um, I don't know. Like the great trend in uh, the internet now is, I guess you you scour old matches, uh, and then you want to be the person to locate the overlooked gem and, you know, somehow point out that Can-Am Connection versus Orton and Morocco was actually the best match on this show, and you got to see the bumps that, that Morocco took. It was it was so much better than, than Steamboat Savage. But So in, in that sense, I guess there's a reason to, to look after the old matches, but really, like you said, the, the three um, big ones are what you take from this show. And being that one of them was very bad, um, well, again, as Matt has been annoyed with, I guess another one of the trends is to somehow talk yourself into to saying that Hogan and Andre was actually a, a perfectly worked match. So, both did not, Matt? Well, yes, it was a completely brilliant masterpiece where everything looked completely believable and real and really I think that you know you show that match to anybody they'll have a hard pressed time uh, they'll be hard pressed to uh, to tell you that it wasn't 100% shoot <laughs> yeah I remember uh, in Hogan's uh, Hogan's book he didn't know what Andre was going to do but Andre <laughs> said uh, slam me boss so Hogan Gorilla pressed him over his head and threw him through the roof of the Pontiac Silverdome and he landed in Lake Michigan caused a tidal wave that wiped the earth of evil and then Andre died six minutes after the match ended which shows that uh, Hogan actually, in his pre-match promo, was uh, very accurate in predicting what would happen. Yeah, his his um, uh, perhaps he had some Red Bulls or other substances while he was uh, Jolt Cola, perhaps while he was concocting those promos. But uh, yeah, that uh, main event, uh, Andre couldn't move, so it's kind of hard to have a good match. Although you know, I give him all the credit; it was uh, captured the imagination, sold out, huge. Watching it now, bad, and even the um, the. Piper Adonis match isn't, you know, that's nothing. It's great because Piper wins and he rides off into the sunset. You know, that's it's not, you know, a super match or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. but all that being said, I still do think that this show is, deserves a lot of the love that it gets. I mean, oh, yeah. It was it was really the first WrestleMania, you know, despite the heel wins and the fact that the undercard wasn't exactly, um, you know, full of big blow-off matches. It was, it was, it definitely felt like a super card. You could definitely see that the the most of the wrestlers up and down the show, even though you know the good ones, the bad ones, they did put in an extra level of effort that they wouldn't have put on at WrestleMania's one or two. Um, the crowd was just cra- going crazy for all of it, and you know even the heel wins. You know I'd say that most of them were examples of pretty good booking. They led to something, and you know <laughs> I was just thinking of the Iron Sheik uh, Nikolai Volkov against Killer Bees match that led to uh, some things about. <laughs> Fifteen years later, in the Iron Sheik uh, flipping out on uh, B. Brian Blair, but yes, imagine how much more continue. imagine how much more famous this WrestleMania would have been if Iron Sheik had gotten to complete his humbling of B. Uh, Brian Blair album live uh, in yeah. front of the ninety-two thousand. But uh, you know, and then obviously uh, Savage versus Steamboat. That you know, you can say what you want about how you know different matches look different ways, but that match, um, you know, that match deserves the the praise that it got. That was. Um, an amazing match of the time, still is in a lot of ways. I watched that and I'm like, God damn, this match is fast paced. I'm saying that today. You can't imagine what they're saying that 20 right. years ago. Like you know, and you know, you, you wonder now, like 
how would it be different now in terms of booking? Would it have gotten more time? Would it have been better that way? Probably would have had a clean finish, I think, because that's generally the trend at WrestleManias. But, um, but you know, you can't complain about anything that, that they did there. That was, you know, that was something special. And, you know, Hogan versus Andre, you're right, Andre couldn't move. He couldn't, you know, he didn't really have any facial expressions for, for the entire show, <laughs> even in his backstage promos. So I don't know if he was doped up or, or just trying to, fight through what would otherwise be tons of grimacing because he was in such horrible pain at all times. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, WrestleMania's great, you know. That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember being really pissed when uh, the Honky Tonk Man beat Jake Roberts. And uh, who managed the Honky Tonk Man? That little rut, Jimmy Hart! <laughs> all right, any more thoughts on WrestleMania three? Well, first, just this, just this one thought from Dave Meltzer from the 1987, uh, from the from the issue that he did covering the uh, this show. The, um, okay, uh, I I finally figured out what the difference was between this year's WM and last year's. It was the play-by-play and the atmosphere, of course. Last year there were some good matches and some bad ones, but the bad ones weren't helped by airheaded celebrities making stupid <laughs> comments. This year the commentary, particularly Ventura was excellent throughout. So, with the exception of the last match, even though there were good bouts and bad bouts, as a presentation, it was fun throughout. Gorilla Monsoon even did a good job as a foil for Jesse. Hey, 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 hey. Sorry, my typewriter freaked out during that last sentence. <laughs> yeah, Dave, uh, Dave never, I don't know. Gorilla won, like, worst announcer, like, ten years in a row, for reasons I can't fathom, because I think he and Jesse really made these early WrestleManias. Yeah. And, and something was lost when they weren't really, when they weren't calling them. And you and you know it's the it's the industry standard wrestling observer newsletter when you get a typewriter freak out. Yeah. <laughs> and and how many negative stars did the main event get? Ooh, let me uh, let me double check. Uh, four. I believe it was four, but. Wow. No, yeah, it's four. Correct. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, one of the the famous old Dave ratings that people say see today and, and completely balk at because oh my god it was Hogan Andre in such a big match you got to overlook those things and somehow give it a positive rating but uh, at the time people I guess the hardcore fans which uh, you know we can't really well Joe you can being well old but uh, can't really get in that mindset at the time the, the WWF was this uh, big um, force. Uh, it was over and ruining wrestling. <laughs> I didn't really see it that way, being a uh, northeastern guy. Yeah, although if you listen to uh, Bruce Mitchell talk now, you really get to hear it over and over and over again. Whenever the WWF in the '80s comes up, that all these guys from the different territories would come in and just ruin themselves and dumb themselves down and not not work hard because of that awful road schedule, which I'm sure is true. Yep. And you know, you obviously if you if you get tapes of like Jim Duggan in a uh, in WWF, you know, it's pretty clear that there definitely is a difference. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm sure it was overstated because they did still have a lot of options back then. But I guess you, as you saw promotions fall by the wayside at the hands of uh, WWF, it did get to be pretty depressing. Yeah. And I'll give you a free segue, Joe. Okay. This would become even more exemplified the following year. Yes, WrestleMania four. Oh Oh, boy. The concept of this show was a 14-man tournament for the vacant WWF title, which had 11 matches. That wasn't enough. So we also had tag and intercontinental title defenses. That wasn't enough. Also a 20-man battle royal, not enough. A six-man tag involving Bobby Heenan, not enough. An Ultimate Warrior match, that was finally enough. 
Yeah. yeah. Look, this is a long, boring show with almost no good wrestling, and I don't think you should watch it, but I can't bury it completely. Because I, I think the show-long tournament was a fascinating idea. It was just not done very well. And it was done in front of the wrong audience. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, Trump Plaza, uh, mm-hmm. notoriously dead crowd. Well, um, this show, I think, has a lot of sentimental value for certain people. And then Me. for everyone else who it doesn't have sentimental value <laughs> for, it's pretty much widely considered to be the worst WrestleMania, or one, or the top two at least. I don't know. Justin, would you agree the worst WrestleMania? Yes. Yeah, so um, I dare anyone for whom this show does not have sentimental value for to actually attempt to sit through this show in one sitting because I can't imagine anybody can make it. There were, this was just, I mean, there, there were longer WrestleManias, WrestleMania 20 being one, but this show had no real high points. It was just the same thing over and over and over again, lots of crappy finishes, lots of, you know, matches with nothing going on, no, no crowd reaction to pretty much anything. Um, that ultimate warfare match. <laughs> and also the <sighs> Jake Roberts versus Rick Rude match, which they oh. did 15 minutes too. And boy, those two guys took a lot of pride in what they did in that 15 minutes. But, um, oh, boy. lots of, uh, chin lock goodness there. If you think Randy Orton's bad now. But, <laughs> I can see a young Randy Orton watching that match and going, yeah. <laughs> it all makes sense. Yep. And, um,. Yeah, I started off probably the high point was that well probably not but but one of the high points was that battle royal with um with a uh, um Bret Bret Hart and Bad News Brown uh, um, splitting the, the trophy until Bad News turned on Bret Hart um and uh, they had the uh, little breakup which uh, I guess led to the Hart Foundation's face turn which uh, in a way I guess led to eventually years later Bret Hart um, being established enough as a babyface to get a singles push but um. But still, that battle royal kind of sucked, <laughs> and um, then every other match sucked. And Hogan versus Andre, I hear a lot of people saying that match was worse than the one the year before, but I think it was better. Um, not that it's, not that it's saying much, but Andre actually had some life in him. Like he still couldn't do anything, but he wasn't as he didn't seem like a walking zombie. <laughs> well, they they only worked a five minute match. The one the previous year was like twelve. Let minutes. me check. Twelve minutes. So, so oh yeah, didn't didn't the uh, Coliseum. It was a, the old Coliseum tape was a, a double release, and didn't they end like in the middle of the match? Yeah. Tape one ended. Yeah, when uh, like, <laughs> when, uh, when Andre had Hogan in like a trapezius hold, they cut they cut away, and then you came back, and the, and then the music kicked in, and then they faded in, and Hogan was still in that trapezius hold. But um, but awesome. yeah, the, of course the the big the big story on the show was uh, Savage finally quote unquote get, becoming the the guy. No, not really though, no. and um. His, uh, you know, the big ending was, of course, Hogan cheating for him, the big babyface win, and and then um, Hogan's pretty much being the main focus on camera, celebrating as well. after Savage won the title. But you know, uh, you know, it, it led to something. It was a, uh, in, in hindsight, it wasn't all bad, but oh. yeah, that was a very frustrating show. And like I said, try to sit through it, please, and then mm. and then tell me if you did. I'll never figure out why they didn't do uh, Savage and Steamboat in the second round, where not only could you have a good match, you can have Savage get his win back from the previous year, and it'd probably be better than fighting, uh, who would he fight? Greg Valentine? Yeah. Yeah. The Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect postulate from King of the Ring 93, where you rematch them as baby faces. Uh, Although in the 80s, I'm sure it would be the last thing they want to do is in any 
uh, context have to face as Russell. They wouldn't even let face grow beard, so why? Yeah, well, yeah, that might have killed the crowd if they'd done that. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Um, <laughs> it's probably possible to reorganize the brackets to end up with a bunch of uh, better-looking matches, but even then, with the, the time constraints and just the fact that uh, I think everybody on the roster was likened to zombies based on having to work the house show schedule. They didn't mm-hmm. even bother to try to have good matches, and uh, really the only two great matches in the first seven years were both Randy Savage matches. Um, yeah. And, well, I, yeah, I, the most memorable thing about this is which you brought up, the Coliseum Video box, which was double wide, double deep, like a Yokozuna <laughs> casket. Um, unfortunately, the contents of that box was uh, nothing, uh, nothing too good. But uh, any discussion of this show invariably turned to instead talking about how it went head-to-head with the first Clash of the Champions? I believe so. Okay, and the, the Sting Flare match? Also, a, I think a Fantastics Midnight Express. Some, some great tag match was on opposite this. And yeah. This was this is called WrestleMania Snow or WrestleMania Boar. Uh, you know, I <laughs> deep down I kind of love it, but... All this bad mouthing, you know. Shape about all this uh, bad mouthing, but yeah. But yeah, yeah. Clash of the Champions. That was a legitimately great show, and that exacerbates uh, what was so bad about WrestleMania Four. But uh, one thing I want to mention about WrestleMania Four that um, was uh, Vanna White in the uh, in the back between rounds talking about how the brackets were breaking down, and when uh, when uh, Savage when uh, Gene Oakland asked. Um, asked Vanna about what she thought of Elizabeth in Savage's corner, and uh, Vanna said that she really liked that Savage had a woman person <laughs> cracking him up. So, uh, Ah, Vanna. Very important. Yes. And overlooked uh, facet. And didn't Savage and DiBiase have much better, like infinitely better matches pretty much every other time they wrestled after this? They had a better one like the week before on Saturday night's main event. And they had better matches up and down the pike. I don't know why this one sucks so bad. Maybe it was just too long a show, too many matches. I don't know. Yeah, I think probably that, and just the the crowd, and just the, they were they were on last on that show, and I'm sure that show just was soul shattering for uh, pretty much everybody on it because that was just. Ugh. Well, nowadays I, I remember Dave saying, you know, nowadays wrestlers are like, oh, it's WrestleMania, it's a big moment, it's a spotlight. But back in the day, WrestleMania wasn't, you know, it was just your biggest payday of the year. They, they didn't think it was this big epic, you know, showcase of the immortals or anything like that. Right. Exactly. And I, at the Respond to what Justin said earlier. I was going to wait until we got to the later WrestleManias, but um, I would say probably WrestleMania didn't become what it is now, like really, until probably actually the 2000s when they actually started booking matches, like lots of matches to be look good on paper, and all the kids who grew up watching WrestleMania were like, "Oh my God, it's WrestleMania! Let's have our WrestleMania moment." Mm. Whereas back yeah. then it was just you know the big payday. Right. The the influx of uh, the WCW guys who maybe wouldn't have been marks per se for for WrestleMania, but took a lot of pride in what they did, mm-hmm. and then the generation of WWF guys like uh, the Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian, um, who grew up watching WrestleMania and being WWF fans, uh, so they're not really looking at it as just another job or the biggest payoff as so much as actually wanting to do something uh, really special. And of, and, of course, there were guys like Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Steve Austin, who were just people who had a lot of pride in what they did, so they had good matches anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, on to WrestleMania five, second second straight show from the Trump Plaza, headlined by the Mega Powers Exploding. Uh, some people crap on this show. I don't know why. 
I know the crowd's bad, but I love this show. You had probably the best main event up to that point for WrestleMania. You had some, you know, good tag matches, uh, Brain Busters versus Strike Force. You had some solid stuff, Mr. Perfect against the Blue Blazer. The Rockers versus the Twin Towers. You had Rick Rude being the Ultimate Warrior. I know a lot of the wrestling isn't that, you know, great, but a lot of the matches were kept short back then, you know. I mean, you know, Dino Bravo and Ron Garvin, okay, not great, but it went like four minutes, so, you know, what's the harm? I don't know. It's no <laughs> real harm. It's not a, a threat. Although, um, I, yeah, um, Hogan Savage, one of the big, uh, I don't know, not so much for our um, acumen of fan, but uh, the the internet debates are, there's uh, the uh, accepted line of thinking that Hulk Hogan is bad at wrestling, and then there's the other argument that Hulk Hogan is, uh, secretly really good at it, and he had these mythical matches in Japan with head dropping and uh, things like that. And so this is always looked at as one of the great Hogan matches where he accidentally let it slip that he was awesome. I don't know if I think the match is actually that great. Um, it's I mean, good. It's good, but it's just, uh, like you said, nearly the best of uh, the main event, uh, main event so far. Um, uh, I, Joe, I want to ask you... Um, the, the copy of the show that you have, um, yes. is it the Coliseum video version? No, I have, um, I picked up uh, the first ten DVDs in the anthology series when they uh, re-released them. I didn't have the uh, Coliseum version. Okay, because I think like, that one is a little bit more watchable. This one really does seem like it goes on forever, because, you know, the, the unedited version. Because, um, I, I don't, I mean, it does have, it does have the same dead crowd. I think it's probably a little bit better than the year before. And definitely the guys work harder than they did the prior year. Um, there were still not there's still not much in the way of high points throughout the show. Like I did I did like the main event. I thought it was good. I think the big knock on the main event from back then, if I'm reading the Observer, and I kind of agree with it, was that there was this huge epic um, you know match they built up to brilliantly, probably the best probably the best hype match in WWF history, mm-hmm. certainly up there. And um, the finish was just the same as every other Hulk Hogan finish. I mean, you could argue, yeah, that's what people came to see back then. But I really think they could have come up with something a little bit more creative or a little bit more exciting rather than just Hogan no-selling the, the elbow and doing the Hulk up and the comeback. I, I would have preferred it that way. But the match itself was really good. Savage just worked for a few people in that match. And, you know, Hogan definitely did do stuff that he didn't normally do, the, uh, the whole hammerlock sequence into the drop-toe hold and, and all that stuff. I mean, you know, that was that was really good. That was millions of times better than anything that was on WrestleMania 4, so I think that automatically makes this show a lot better than that one. And they actually did angles on this show, like uh, the Strike Force breaking up and Rude winning the Intercontinental title. So this show wasn't completely worthless the way WrestleMania 4 was either. And you had um, you had stuff like they threw they just threw uh, Hennig and the, and the Blue Blazer out there just to have a match, and I imagine that match was designed to just have a good match, and it probably wasn't as good as you'd want it to be, but it was still, you know, still, you know, better than a lot of stuff you would see from WWF back then. One match that I uh, that I really like that I don't think it's any uh, any love is the uh, is the Twin Towers against the Rockers. I, I just I really like that as far as a big versus little man match, a lot of good um, good moves. I mean, in the end, it was pretty much a squash for the Twin Towers, but yeah, that's how things were back then. Yeah, but the Rockers the Rockers took some really good bumps. They were good double team stuff. I thought that was a, a very good match. And um, Shawn Michaels' first WrestleMania. Yep. Yes. Yep. Good. Good point. 
and um, the uh, the other, I guess, noteworthy thing was the uh, was the skit with uh, with Roddy Piper, Morton Downey oh, Jr., and Brother that's Love, so good. which you know, you, which is another one where you see uh, you see actually some debate on the internet whether or not that was the worst thing ever, or whether or not it was really funny. And I'm no. I'm trying to figure out what was really funny about it, but uh, I would be leaning more towards the worst thing ever category. But you know. That was- bad the run dmc rap was poor the, uh, no holds barred preview was the best thing ever so i guess it all evens out in the end and then jesse ventura's rant after the no holds yeah barred preview. he flips out like like he really didn't know what was going on yeah with piper you see uh one of the again differences in the mentality between wrestlemania's in the 80s and wrestlemania today because if a roddy piper is going to come back after it was a, a two-year absence right he was completely gone yeah. the whole time they would probably put him in a match, whereas here he had the the return appearance doing the pit, and then I think he started doing house shows uh, a month later. So, hmm. yep. Also, um, this show had my pick for the uh, worst WrestleMania match ever, and uh, Joe, since you're very familiar with this, uh, can you guess what it is? I'm going to guess Jake Roberts against Andre. Yes. <laughs> there, there is a moment. I was going to bring this up. There's a moment in this match where Andre is giving Jake shoulder blocks in the corner. And then he suddenly starts selling his head. And Gorilla's like, Jake got a knee up. And he clearly didn't. So, like, Andre just came down with a headache or something. <laughs> yeah. And I think didn't Andre, like, fall down at one point during this match for no reason? I'm pretty sure. These two had bad track records for WrestleMania matches. So, obviously, putting them together. Also, with a great angle with Andre, he has a heart attack when he's near Snake. Yeah. Well, keep yeah. in mind that Andre did uh, die shortly after WrestleMania. Three, <laughs> That's true. So. Maybe he really was a zombie here. <laughs> Correct. Uh, I, oh, go ahead. No, I, said, I was, was going to make a bad joke, but so it is not. That's what we're all about. Okay, I was just going to say, I can't believe we're having all this build up to my bad one-liner that Andre actually died from the body slam. Yep. I told you. Holy, Holy mackerel, indeed. Um, he was feeding you for the gorilla drop. Yep. I was. Uh, you know what match I, I liked on this? It just it was a total throwaway match, but. It was a hard foundation against the uh, a pre-rhythm and blues honky-tonk man and Greg Valentine, because probably the the peak of the hearts. They never got to do much at WrestleMania. They were usually in a battle royal or a, a 19-second match against the Bolsheviks. And I don't know. It was just a nice ending. They get revenge on Jimmy Hart. I always liked that match. Hmm. And whenever Dave tells Meltzer, excuse me, we're on a first-name basis on Joe vs. the World, with the Joe there, but... Um, Whenever Dave tells the master narrative of WrestleMania is when he gets to these ones, it's usually, and little did anyone know, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart were waiting in the wings on the undercard saying, man, I wish wrestling matches in the main event were good. Maybe one day we can change that. Maybe one day. Maybe. Well, on to WrestleMania six, Hogan Warrior from the Sky Dome, and I love this show. I do. I, the main event is uh, enormously epic, and if you weren't a fan back then, it's... It's kind of hard to understand it today. It's it's a good match. It's not great. But um, up and down, the wrestling on the show isn't that good. But the way it's booked, it's very satisfying. Because back in the day, only about half the matches had any kind of storyline behind them. You would have uh, Jake Roberts and Ted DiBiase. They fought over the million-dollar belt. And then you would have, you know, Tito Santana against the Barbarian, who just announced they were going to wrestle. And you could get away with that because, you know, seeing a non-squash match in any format was, you know, something... Uh, you know, something interesting. So, and, and the faces basically won all the matches with storylines, and the heels won all the non-storyline matches to build them up. And I don't know, I just, I, I love the show to death, and uh, I'm probably a bit in the minority on that one. Now, you know what? I don't care what anyone says. 
Hulk Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior was a great match. Like, I think, like, I've, I watched it probably two years ago, and I was like, holy crap, this match, like, I don't, like, it really does hold up. Like, and people say it doesn't. It was just great live, and then it doesn't hold up at all. But I think this is just the most brilliantly booked match I've ever seen. I mean, these two guys, like, considering the matches that they had normally, even their big matches, and then to put them together and to make this epic story, like, and, you know, it's not executed 100% perfectly. Like, Warrior couldn't really get Hogan up in the guerrilla press and all that stuff. But they just did everything they needed to do, and the crowd was with them the whole way. And the finish was so much more interesting than any other main event finish, finish they ever did. Like, this is the kind of finish that they could have done at WrestleMania five that would have been, would have been a little bit more interesting, where they actually turned it around. Because you never saw that in WWF, especially in matches with these guys back then where Hogan actually missed his finisher, and then Warrior just got this, the quick splash in the pin. That was that was great. And um, it, just like... Oh, it's, it's just so funny seeing like so many moves are reversed these days. Like Kevin Federline could get out of a, an NFU, but um, <laughs> just seeing like, you know, that just seeing Warrior moved from the leg drop, that didn't happen. And that's forever burned into my memory, watching that on uh, April 1st, 1990. So. Oh, yeah, that's just an unbelievable, unbelievably brilliant finish that they did right there. And, um, you know, just the way that they, they had just the, the same old test of strength that they'd have in any match, but it was just such a high spot in this one. And um, Hogan, Hogan doing the blood, the knee thing, I guess, apparently has a rib on Sting for hurting his knee. But that was, Jesus. according to Dave Meltzer, at least. And, um, but yeah, this uh, uh, this one, I, I don't know. I, I think this one is as good as anyone has said. Yep. I agree with both of you. Um and then that test of strength spot was recreated uh, 13 years later in Hogan Vince, where Vince actually took Hogan down in the test of strength. Um, I guess Vince is actually quite strong in his own right, and Hogan was old at that point. But uh, Not to put Matt on the spot, but I think this would be an interesting one with the old Observer quotes, because uh, Dave loved the match. I mean, not as much as, as some people, but I think he gave it about three and three quarters, and... Um, Actually, at the time, didn't, in like the late 89 Observers, Dave kind of expect Hogan versus Zeus to, to main event WrestleMania 6? I remember hearing that that rumor mm-hmm. in uh, in later years, like that was the original plan. Mm-hmm. So that would Jesus. perhaps change people's opinion of the show. Um, and we got, didn't they have like a, a no hold the bar special pay-per-view that blew that Yeah, up? it was... Uh... It was a cage match with uh, Zeus and Savage against Hogan and uh, Beefcake. And I think that was like a little bit after Survivor Series that year. Yeah, I remember that's where they set it up for No Holds Barred, the match, the movie. Mm-hmm. Or, or the movie and the match. Both right. of them. So. Right, exactly. Um, but, um, yeah, I, but I don't, you know, at the time, I don't know if Observer types, like the, those kinds of fans, would have been all that much more excited for the prospects of Hogan versus Warrior than they were for Hogan versus Zeus. They probably yep. thought both were horrible, horrible ideas, and which is, and really they, you know, I mean, like, I would have been, I would have been dreading this match, too, and then to, to know that they actually did go 20 minutes, which was by far the longest WrestleMania match up to that point, I think Hogan versus Savage, well, maybe not by far, because Hogan versus Savage was like 18 or something like that. Yeah, it went about 17, 18 minutes, so. But yeah, this one went a legit 20 minutes, which the, which I guess showed that things were starting to shift a little bit, even, even as early as 1990, but, mm. um, 
And Dave but, expected uh, going in, the finish came as a really big surprise to everyone in the know who knows what the end of a Hogan match is, and that Hogan, you know, isn't going to lay down clean for anybody. I think he expected either just to be Hulk up, leg drop, uh, just like everybody else, or because it was a babyface match, they'd do a double DQ. So I don't think <sighs> Warrior winning in the way he did was um, expected going in, even though Hogan was leaving to film the movie. Yeah, this, uh, everything about this match, to me, was extremely commendable. Yep. All right. Well, on to uh, familiar territory for you two gents. WrestleMania Seven. At last. Somewhat tainted by the uh, the Iraq sympathizer storyline and having to move to the Ellie Coliseum. There's still some real good stuff here. Main event was very good. Warrior Savage was really amazing start to finish. Uh, the opening tag match is good, and the Heart Foundation Nasty Boys match was shockingly good, although... Everything else is pretty much total dog shit. Yeah, Slaughter Hogan was good, which gets overlooked in the fact that it was abominable uh, angle for it. Also, uh, Slaughter wore his Dockers. He dressed up for uh, instead of the black pants you usually wore. I was impressed by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Slaughter actually had good matches with Hogan and Warrior. Uh, the the title change right before that at the Rumble. It's just you can't. Well, I don't know if I'd call that good. Well, um, you know. I watched that last year, well, so... Well, you know, Savage was very entertaining, even though he wasn't actually in the match. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's really hard to, to be happy about any of that, considering the context behind it. I, I don't know, it, it'd be like, maybe if if uh, WWE put the title on Muhammad Hassan going into WrestleMania and continued doing the his... Um, Al-Qaeda heel stable angle, but um, at least Slaughter was a uh, star before then, was uh, actually a good worker. Mm-hmm. Well, this uh, this WrestleMania is probably my WrestleMania 4, and that I just, just tons of sentimental value. Obviously, I think most of us can agree it was actually a legitimately much better show than WrestleMania 4. Oh, sure. But, but um, I remember when I first got on the internet in, like, 1995, when I was 12 years old, you know, I'd go on to one of these, uh, you know, topics where people were talking about the best WrestleManias, and I'd be like, oh yeah, and don't forget Seven, and then, then, then they'd be like, Seven, that was one of the worst WrestleManias, and I would be like, what? And then, I guess I guess at that point, there was still a lot of uh, anger over the whole Iraq war uh, the yeah. angle, but but um, I think over the past, you know, seven or eight years, the show's gotten a lot more respect um, online. Because um, has done so many worse things since then, it doesn't really stand yeah. out. The low yeah, point. and also just, like, we're so far detached from that angle now that you can just watch the show and be like, hey, this match was good, and this match mm-hmm. was good. The rest but, of um, good matches, oh my god. But yeah, this this really, I'd say for as far as a good a number of good matches, this uh, this was probably the best WWF pay-per-view. You know, it was probably too long, as most of the WrestleManias were back then. They needed to get 14 matches on. I can't believe that they actually got 14 matches on the show, and still had two 20-minute matches, a five-minute intermission plus interviews before and after, and then a bunch of other 10-minute-plus matches. Like, cause, but you know, they were able to do it, and most of the most of the matches that they gave time to were pretty good. Um, the Rockers versus Barbarian Haku was, is, to me, is like the underrated opener of all time. Mm. That's like I think that's a really good match, and like you said, Hard Foundation against the Nasty Boys, and then the obvious, uh, you know, brilliant match of the year type of match for WWF was. Uh, Warrior versus Savage with the, uh, with you know Savage. Like I said, he worked for a few people in uh, in WrestleMania five. He worked for like forty five people in this show. He did because that match was all him, except for that one spot where the Warrior looked at his hands for a while. That, 
<laughs> I give Warrior credit in this one too. He did uh, a lot of different things, and no, you know, I, I think Savage carried him, but it, it was a two man show. Well, yeah, it, one one smart thing Warrior did was the whole walking to the ring because he never did that, and that yeah. really got over the gravity of the match. And I thought the finish was a little bit anticlimactic because the re- the, the uh, announcers didn't anticipate it, and they were just in the yeah. middle of a conversation. I think Warrior was like. You know, whoever stays, I mean, Hina was like, whoever whoever goes, goes, whoever stays. And then Monty was like, wait, wait, wait a second, uh, right as the referee counted three. So that kind of hurt the, the match a little bit, but the um, the post-match stuff made up for it. And, uh, yep. That's one of the best uh, angles that uh, they've ever done was with uh, uh, the reuniting of uh, Savage and Elizabeth. And um, We also had the, the epic blindfold match. You know, people are like, oh, this match is terrible. And it is, but how can you not laugh at this? Oh, no, yeah, they, uh... Funny. They they did that match about as well as they could have done it. Like, there were some some good spots there. Uh, I think uh, Martel putting his head down after the Irish whip, and Jake just kind of (laughs) wandering to the (laughs) right. Um... Yeah, that 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 match was, was, and they got the crown into it. You know, like really, I don't. I think it's stupid too. I mean, it it was a stupid idea, I guess. But they they did that match as well as well as it could. It was probably uh, Jake's best WrestleMania match in a lot of ways. Uh, We had the match. He had the match with Tibiasi the year before, which is pretty good. But other than that, actually, no. I think George Wells may have that (laughs) that uh, that honor. Now that I think about it, Jake not a good WrestleMania performer, but Yeah, yeah, sorry. Well, one of the big misconceptions about this show, it's just kind of popular sentiment. People assume this is supposed to be the big Hogan Warrior rematch, and Vince, in his stupidity, changed his mind. But uh, if you weren't around at the time, you probably don't realize that Warrior was actually a pretty big disappointment as champion, and uh, they did not think he could headline WrestleMania again. And Plus, they really didn't like to do babyface matches, so the plan all along was... Uh, this you know, brewings with Sergeant Slaughter. Although um, I think Dave at the time also thought Ric Flair might jump to WWF a year early uh, to headline this show and and sell out the Coliseum. Yeah, Which in uh, the middle of 1990 or early 1990, there was a lot of turmoil with uh, Ric Flair and Jim Hurd to the point where it was actually looking like Flair would jump, but it turns out that they held that off for about another year, year and a half. And but, here um, is. Sorry, here's where the, the tide actually starts to shift, where it's no longer uh, the NWA, which didn't exist anymore. Uh, it was WCW, was no longer the, the great babyface promotion, and WWF was the big heel. And uh, not that you know everyone loved WWF, but you can see with with shows like this, it starts to kind of even out. But I, it's hard for me to even figure out what that mentality would have been like uh, with. NWA is everything that's good in wrestling, and WWF is everything that's bad with uh, roided-up guys and Hulk Hogan's sickening act and um, no-good matches. I I think it would kind of be like when TNA was doing their monthly pay-per-views with no TV and was just a pure wrestling company, and Mm -hmm. WWE at its low point uh, of the last two or three years, isolated an area, only it had to be like that tenfold. No, yeah, 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 definitely. Once, uh, once uh, WCW came to the picture after the few month glory period with uh, the Steamboat and Funk feuds, WCW quickly established itself as completely incompetent in pretty much every way. And actually, if you uh, if you really read like old observers or old torches or stuff like that, like a lot of uh, columnists were almost 
unfairly mean to WCW during that time. Like any any time they did anything, even even if even if stuff that we remember as being good, the uh, the commentators would be like, "Oh, W, stupid again." They, you know, they put the title on Sting, and he doesn't care about any, you know, something like that. Even though that you know, right before the whole big uh, Sting Vader feud that was that ended up being really good, and mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, so it was almost like WWF was becoming the more of the babyface promotion. Although I wouldn't, I don't know if I would pick uh, this WrestleMania as an example of that, since people were so outraged over that war angle. Whereas to me at the time, I was seven years old, and I was just like, um, you know, okay, uh, Sergeant Slaughter's with Saddam Hussein, so what? Let's have Hogan beat him, whatever. <laughs> and uh, uh, another match uh, that I think gets a little bit overlooked that was a good match with a ridiculous finish was a. Uh, Actually, uh, Mr. Perfect versus uh, Big Boss Man. Uh, may they both rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say there are a lot of dead guys on this show. If you, it's depressing watching Undertaker, that. A lot of dead guys. Undertaker is dead. Oh, I was just saying like Dino Bravo against uh, Kerry Von Erich. They're both dead. And uh, I wonder if Dino Bravo prepared for his match. Dino Bravo didn't do his homework. And uh, we also have like like Mr. Perfect against the Big Boss Man. They're both dead. Oh, and Andre's out there too. He's dead. Uh, yeah. Hawks dead. Um, Hercules Von Hercules dead. Yeah, Kerry Von Eric. Just there's like oh British Bulldog dead. Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah, Gorilla Monsoon. Jesus, like it's depressing watching these old shows. Yeah, but yeah. But, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this was the uh, if this was if this is still the one with the most dead guys because now for WrestleMania four we've added a uh, Bad News Allen and Bam Bam Bigelow to that list, so oh, that's that might true. be up might be up there now. But, a morbid um, count, but yeah, that uh, that boss man perfect match. I like. I don't know why they didn't put the belt on boss man. It just. Well, I think it, I think it I think it worked out because because um, you got then you got Bret Hart yeah. typically ending that reign a few months later in a better match. But yeah, this, they pulled out a lot of wacky stuff in this match, and boss man was boss man was great at this point. I think this was like the best he ever was. Oh yeah, he just had so he had so much fire. He was so quick. You know, he was you know he was pretty light. I mean, he wasn't nearly as big as he once was, but he was light on his feet. And he, you know, he showed a lot of passion in the ring. Like I thought, that was I thought this was pretty much his peak, and I thought he was legitimately very, very good worker at this point. I saw some of his matches when he first showed up. I just watched him, and he had a humongous beer gut, and uh, oh, yeah. he shed that. And um, yeah, when he turned babyface, like like WrestleMania six, I didn't mention it, but the Boss Man Akeem match is one of my like favorite markout moments ever. Because I was a huge fan of the Boss Man. He was a good guy, and he he squished Akeem. So yeah, I think that match got like. Got like negative stars or something like that. Actually, well, in the Observer, it was a but, um, but it was more like a minute long. Yeah, it was like a two-minute match. You know, whatever. It was really good. And uh, also worth noting, Undertaker started his streak here, squishing Jimmy Snuka, and the uh, baffling demolition against Henry Katow match, which no one gave two shits about at all. Yeah, that that's another example of the difference between WrestleMania then and now. Like you figure that if a um, if a big Japanese star comes over. For WrestleMania, like they consider it a big deal. I know I've read that uh, Keiji Muto kind of considers wrestling at WrestleMania to be his dream. Whereas Tenru was just like, oh, all right, I'm in the U.S., might as well take a break. Yeah, yeah, kind of a sad end for Demolition, but yeah. And if you want to know why Randy Savage was booked to lose a retirement match, it was because they wanted to have a retirement match and had to retire somebody. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, they just like, well. Somebody has to retire, and it's not going to be the Warrior, so take a break. I'll bring you back in a while. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, on to WrestleMania 8, a, uh, a huge crowd from the the, huge, uh, the Hoosier Dome. Literally hanging off the rafters. Well, I think only about five people paid to be there. This was a heavily papered show. 
we had two great title matches, Piper uh, against Bret Hart for the IC belt, Ric Flair against Randy Savage for the world title, a big surprise at the end, and a whole lot of nothing. Yep. You don't really see a... Well, Matt would be better at, at uh, pinpointing this than I would, but uh, is there any WWF show up to this point with two four-star matches on it? WrestleMania is no. I don't think any pay-per-views. I have no idea about... Yeah, no. I mean, I, would say I mean, I guess you could argue that this show didn't have two four-star matches either, but it certainly came closest. And, well. uh Yeah. But, um, but yeah, this, uh, this was a show... I remember reading stuff at the time, like, not at the time, but reading stuff from the time where people were mad that Savage and, and uh, Flair didn't uh, finish up the show. But I think it, from, you know, now it's, it makes a lot of more sense with the whole return of the Warrior and just Hogan was, was still Hogan. I mean, this was, this was at, you got to remember, this was at such a weird time for the WWF because the steroid stuff was really breaking big. And the big thing actually at the time was the, was the sex scandal with, the, um, with Terry Garvin and Mel Phillips and the, uh, the Ring Boys and all that stuff. You know, and they were all over 2020 and Donahue and all this stuff. And so WWF was just in a really creepy place and that's why obviously that's why Hogan uh, that's why Hogan kind of disappeared for a while after this show yep. but depending on your historical pr- perspective it was either the beginning of the end or the, the end of the beginning because Hogan was already disgraced and uh, was the end of like the Hulkamania boom where he was no longer the, the guaranteed super drawing card and then they went into you know no Hogan and the uh, large Bodies started to slowly disappear between um, Warrior and Bulldog at the end of the year. Oops, I just gave away the end of the show. And um, Road Warriors. And so Sid. no more of those guys. And uh, Randy Savage and Ric Flair, for being two really big stars, didn't draw on top with uh, Flair chasing Savage at the heel. Yeah, but I think in some ways, uh, Warrior versus Sa- I mean, not Warrior, um, Flair versus Savage. Well, that's an odd mix-up. Um, Flair versus Savage was kind of emblematic of, in some ways, a new era in the company. Like not probably not as much as say Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels headlining the Survivor Series later that year would be. But um, you know, they had you know the, the much more standard NWA title style match. Not quite, but but a lot closer than any other WWF title match had. Well, that title match, it kind of reminded me of the the accepted main event style, you know, years down the road. You had, like, blood and a lot of near falls and copious interference, and it seemed ahead of its time to me. And wasn't the blood in that match unauthorized and Flair kind of just do it himself and get get in trouble for it? I think so. Like, the story is uh, uh, Bret Hart bladed, but he convinced uh, Vince that it was a hard way, as they say, or accidental. But I I think Flair got in trouble for... uh, Letting the juice loose. Yeah, he did a promo about it when he first came back uh, in 2002, right before his, his match with Vince, where he said like this was the high point of his professional career, where he, he headlined WrestleMania and was in the title match, and it was a great match, and he was on top of the world. And then he walks backstage, and Vince tells him something like, every time you're about to do something good, you always screw it up and ruin it. So that was nice for him. Yeah. Uh, no wonder Ric Flair is so bipolar. <laughs> uh, if you want to, the, the third title match, the tag title match between the Natural Disasters and Money, Inc., if you watch it, it may be the most heatless match I've ever seen. Like, like you, you can almost hear people saying, like, I'm going to go to the bathroom now or something, because no one's making a noise. No one cared. Especially considering that the rest of the show had pretty decent heat. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, that match was was terrible. That was another a situation where you could really see the WrestleMania wasn't quite WrestleMania mm. yet because they just didn't care, and then they just did the cheapest possible finish in the universe as Money Inc. just yeah. walked out. Yeah, they just left for the countout. Um, <sighs> but uh, but the first, I'd say for in the case of this show, the first half was was very good. He had um, a headlocky type of match with Shawn Michaels and uh, Tito Santana, but it was you know it was fine. Uh, Undertaker versus uh, Jake Roberts was. Uh, a textbook burial of a top star, but um, it was bad, but it got the point across. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Um, you know, Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper was another kind of match that they really never did. Just like a really intense babyface versus babyface match where Piper teased using the ring bell, Hart got busted open, and they had that the great finish, the Pedro Morales finish with uh, with Hart kicking back in the sleeper hold yep. to uh, win the title, and you know that was great. Um, and you know, another quick but fine little... I mean, not fine, but considering how quick it was and it was mostly all action was uh, that uh, mid-card eight-man tag with a lot of uh, yeah. guys that didn't have anything to do. Um, and Ray uh, Combs, another one of the fatalities <laughs> right. on this show. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, it's... No, I'm not even going to say it. I was going to say... No, never mind. But, uh, um, but yeah, then Savage versus uh, Flair was... was I'd say in some ways, like it definitely wasn't the the memorable, um, you know, the memorable standout, way well above everything else that us the, the Savage versus uh, Steamboat was. But I'd say in certain ways this was the best WWF match they'd they'd had since the uh, national expansion, just in the sense of like the main event style drama and uh, you know, the blood, and then all the the post match stuff and the, the back and forth and the the great the great uh, roll up finish. They they. Uh, they had a really great match there. And then the second half pretty much had nothing of note until the Ultimate Warrior made his return. Yeah. Well, Tatanka got his feathers back from Rick Martel. Well, that's no, also no, true. no. That was, uh, that was actually Survivor Series. They actually hadn't done the feather angle yet. Hmm. I take your word for it. <laughs> it's, it's worth noting they trimmed the show down to a more reasonable uh, three hours instead of the uh, uh, four hours the previous uh, couple WrestleManias had been. Yeah, and only uh, eight or nine matches. Uh, I think they would actually announce more matches. This was the beginning of the period where they would announce more matches than they actually had on the shows. Like, I think this one they had uh, British Bulldog versus the Berserker <laughs> advertised, and they just didn't They just didn't have it, and they didn't even mention it. One of the great mysteries. And it's, I think if you get the video, actually somewhere at either at the end of the tape or the beginning, it will be like, the uh, listed British Bulldog versus Berserker match did not occur. Card subject to change. <laughs> well, yeah, card subject to change. So, sorry, folks. It's your own fault. And to answer one of the uh, questions where, again, conceptions change over time, and, and I'm not saying I was immune to this, but um, Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair did not headline WrestleMania 8, uh, and it was never supposed to, even though they announced the match on TV. And the reason this happened was just because Vince thought that Hogan versus Sid would be a more uh, lucrative match, and um, they already burnt out the Hogan-Ric Flair uh, program on house shows in the fall when Flair first showed up. Yeah. Now, what I heard is that when Sid signed, it was in his contract that he would headline WrestleMania, and they just they just did the, the Hogan-Flair thing as a swerve, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, I don't so, know if it was in his contract explicitly, but he was promised WrestleMania, and it's yeah. Vince. So why wouldn't Vince think that Hogan versus the Monster would do better than? Also, Hogan the, the truth is that at the time, you're right. They really did burn out Flair versus Hogan, and they trivialized it badly. Like that was a very badly handled pro- house show program. 
And I, you know, I don't know that Hogan versus Sid didn't draw better than Flair versus Hogan would have. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, on to WrestleMania Nine. Some people uh, try to defend this show, say it's not as bad as they think. Uh, what do you think, Gorilla? Highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. This show, worst WrestleMania ever. Bad matches, disastrous booking. I remember, I remember not seeing the show, but tuning into Raw the next day and finding out Hulk Hogan was the world champ. And I'm like, what? What happened? And then finding out, yeah, this had, uh, yeah, you know, the atmosphere, yeah, it was great, whatever. But the the show, it, it blows. Period. Yeah, it more or less taught them that you can't go home again. I think they Vince probably figured uh, Hogan. Uh, took his break, came back, and now we can just get back to, to doing WWF business with, with Hulkamania on top, and then uh, the good times did not roll. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think this is the worst WrestleMania ever just because Thor had that whole endless thing going for it, whereas this show was a lot shorter and not as many matches, and they actually did some stuff. I'd say if they ended the show after the first two matches, it would have been a pretty decent show. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> But um, they, uh, you know, just a lot of ridiculous booking. They had um, just like every bad finish you could think of. They had um, what, what the 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 crush doink thing, which oh. I will admit now I was what nine years old when the show happened. This was a match that I was just like really looking forward to, and I cannot for the life of you tell for the life of me tell you why. Oh, but, I know why. It was because there was an, an intriguing expose in WWF magazine that discussed Crush's childhood growing up with a, a grandfather who was a circus performer, and so Crush loved clowns, and then psychologically Doink was really messing with his head by being an evil clown. And now I want to now I want to pop that tape in again. But um, but yeah, that match with the with the the two Doink finish. Um, then you had the the tag title match, which was. You know, as far as we knew, Hogan's only match that night, and I think that had a well. How did that end? Was that a DQ or a countout or the uh, the baby faces got DQ'd because Jimmy Hart interfered or something? Right, 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 right. And, he, and then he he switched his coat around to look like a striped ref shirt, right? Yeah, some bullshit like that. And um, then you had uh, Luger beating Perfect with I think foot on the ropes. And then you had the chloroform finish <laughs> oh, with Undertaker vs. John Gonzalez, which has got to be another contender for worst WrestleMania match ever. Yeah. Yeah, but you but, kind of expect that to be completely horrendous. No, you're right. So no, I, I uh, wouldn't pick it. But yeah. And then, and then the salt in the eyes for the Bret Hart-Yokozuna match, which actually that match wasn't so bad. That was a pretty decent little little job by uh, Bret. And, you know, Yoko was a lot more uh, mobile at that point. He, he, was, he could do a lot more than he yeah. eventually could. But um, and yeah, and then just right to the um, right to the Hogan finish, which just, which just sucked the you know sucked the heart out of every uh, yeah you know every diehard fan, I guess, or insider fan, whatever you want to call them. But uh, you know, I guess I, I guess I can sort of understand Vince would want to do it. He uh, you know he you know Brett didn't really draw in, at the at the house shows as champion, and he just wasn't what he was used to. Brett did a good job, but it wasn't, you know, it just wasn't the box office success. I mean, as you'd find out, that probably wasn't Brett's fault because there was just a lot of things working against them at the time. Mm. But I can understand why Vince would just say, you know what, let's just go back to Hogan, whatever. That, that, that's what works. Yeah, because they, they turned to Brett really because they had no alternative, not because they were like, yeah, I think this Brett Hart is the guy who's going to really get things going. It was um, Warrior was 
fired. British Bulldog was fired. Uh, Hogan was gone, and Flair wasn't drawing. And so they really had no one left except for the, the popular mid-card uh, Intercontinental Champion-level guy. Yeah. One, uh, one bright spot on this show, Tito Santana worked a dark match, and he broke his uh, seven WrestleMania losing streak when he beat Papa Shango. So it's not all bad, kids. And I refuse to count it because he is a loser. Wow. What are you against Tito? I, I kid, I kid. Tito. I like Tito Santana. Yeah. Anything else on WrestleMania 9? I want to get far away from this one. So. Yeah, let's just uh, jump about another 1,000 levels to the next one. because. Oh, yeah, WrestleMania big, big, 10. Our first uh, Hogan-less WrestleMania. Tito Santana, too, I guess, if you want to mm-hmm. count that. This one was kind of like eight. Two awesome matches, a nice ending, and a whole lot of nothing. But what was good was exceptional. The uh, the Brett Owen opening match and the the ladder match and they were great in different ways. You know, you had a, a great technical wrestling match and you also had the you know the the crazy bump uh, heavy match, which was you know 1994. Like you know, it, it, tough to fathom uh, what this really meant or was going to mean down the road. True, I don't know. There's not a whole lot to say about it. It had you know two maybe the two best matches in, in WWF history at that point. Like you had the the best match to open the show, and then it was surpassed uh, an hour later or so. And I don't know. I guess the story behind this is is Luger being pushed all year as the next Hogan, and then uh, as is the case throughout his career, really never materialized. And uh, as as the company would do with a few later WrestleManias, they thankfully. Um, Realized and actually made the right decision before the show happened, and went with Bret Hart instead. Yep, I never really got the ending of the the title match because Yokozuna was too fat. Was he uh, dizzy? He just fell and Bret pinned him. I don't know. It didn't really seem like the big overcoming, you know, the huge obstacle moment. Mm-hmm. The only thing I could think of is that they just wanted to um, protect Yokozuna for whatever reason, even though they really never did anything with him again at that no, level. Yeah. But um, they. Um, yeah, this uh, you know, this show is pretty much what everyone says about it. Um, I think it's interesting that you know, if you you know, about like up until like five or six years ago, maybe a little bit more, the 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 match that everyone talked about from the show was the ladder match. That was you know that held up. But I think since WWF WWE have have done so many ladder matches in the years, and in certain ways they've been surpassed. Certain, certainly in terms of spectacular nature, you could argue that. Um, Benoit and Jericho had a better wrestling ladder match at the Royal Rumble in 2001. Um, so it, it doesn't seem as spectacular now, although I think everyone still admits that for the time it was unbelievable and it's still a, an awesome, awesome match. Mm-hmm. But I think now the one that, that, that gets talked about more when you're talking about the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time is Brett versus Owen. And I'm, uh, I'm inclined to agree. I think that's one of the top two or three matches. Um, just, uh, you know, great surprise finish. I don't know. You know, I was. You know, I don't know if anybody really expected Owen to win. I know I didn't. And um, they just the way they built to it was brilliant with uh, Bret Hart's leg injury, and you know the the backstory leading up to it was great. Um, you know, just it just really holds up because it's because it's more of a storyline based match, and those matches don't really get old. And you know, awesome finish. And um, I thought it really played in well to the ending of the show with uh, Bret winning the title. I thought that was another thing that put the show over the top was just the great happy ending. And then have to have Owen standing on the rampway there, just kind of looking at everyone, celebrating, shaking his head, looking angry. I thought that was great. It was such a, um, 
it was such a dichotomy with uh, the Royal Rumble, which just happened a couple a couple of months earlier, where they just threw out the, the wacky finish at the end with uh, the tie with Brett and Luger, yep. and then the ridiculous casket match where Undertaker levitated to heaven <laughs> with all the with all the heels coming out. Um, yeah, it's just, just it's just an, it's a good example of how how quickly Vince can change his mind in a direction that he wants to go. Yeah, we, we'd see that later. I guess the, the foremost example would be uh, going with Batista instead of Randy Orton at 21. But uh, there there are probably other minor examples. Yeah, that and just just in terms of like the the, the tone of the product. But you know, I think at, at the time of the Royal Rumble, he was just like, "Go, let's." To produce wacky entertainment, mm-hmm. and then he was like, "Oh, here's a serious wrestling show with some serious wrestling matches." And yeah. I think, and, oh, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, I think an example of that actually is pretty much the past few months, where it was just all the you know the TV was just all goofiness with a DX and the McMahon feud and just all kinds all kinds of zany stuff, and then he's just the past couple months he's just really you know hunkered down and just gotten back to business, and that's what's that seems to be working for him. Mm-hmm. And I guess one interesting minor facet would be, like, for such a star-making match that that ladder match was, and really Shawn Michaels kind of coming into his own as not just a great worker, but one of the the really elite wrestlers in the world at the time, it was, I think, he more or less retired after it and stopped uh, wrestling and just managed Diesel for the next uh, four or five months. But, uh, you know, obviously it was a short-lived retirement, but... You'd think coming out of that match, it was time to to do something big with Shawn Michaels, but he actually stopped wrestling. Hmm. Well, a lot of people thought that uh, Shawn was going to WCW at the time, too. I think Mm -hmm. probably by the time this match happened, those rumors were kind of put to bed, but definitely leading up to the match, a lot of people thought that. And I think even even if you read The Torch from right after, they're still reporting that Shawn is possibly planning on going to WCW. So that was probably uh, one thing that, one reason that, they uh, didn't want to do anything with Sean. They didn't really know where his head was. Mm-hmm. And I think it was smart. Like, by the time he came back, he's a lot fresher. Hmm. Yep. No longer had the fatness in him, which is unusual for Shawn Michael. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the same thing happened with Bret Hart uh, before WrestleMania Eight, which is why they did the title change to Piper, who got off the Mountie, who got the belt from Bret uh, right before they thought he was going to jump to WCW. Ten seems a good place to, to pause as any. Uh, Gorilla, you think we should end here? Forget about it! This one is history! Me. All right, uh, we will be back very soon. We will cover the rest of the WrestleManias. We've gone 80, about 80 minutes so far, which is crazy, but this has been a lot of fun, gentlemen. Uh, thank you. I guess we'll just uh, we'll talk to you in a little bit. 